Hello and welcome to The Hill's Digital Health Podcast. The Hill is the digital health transformation catalyst based at Oxford University Hospitals. We're working to help the NHS make the most of digital innovation. We do this in three ways. We work with innovators to help them develop their digital health ideas and products and make them relevant to the National Health Service. We work with clinical teams to understand needs, engage them in digital innovation, increase digital skills and adopt innovation. And finally, we collaborate with many partners, bringing together multiple organisations to form a digital health ecosystem. This podcast series focuses on clinical entrepreneurs, our clinical colleagues who have decided to start a business or a social enterprise to develop a digital health innovation. My name is Megan Morris-Carter, Director of The Hill, and I'm joined today by Zishan Akhtar, Specialist Registrar at Oxford University Hospitals. Zishan has a DPhil in surgical sciences and set up, led and exited from his healthcare startup, Scout Health. And we're now delighted to have him as a mentor on the new Market Access Accelerator programme starting this year. Zishan, welcome. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you tell us, start off by, by telling us a little bit more about uh, Scout Health and what it was supposed to do? So Scout Health was a, an app that was uh, designed really to try and help people improve their, their overall health. It aimed to be a preventative healthcare app that looked at providing people with insights into their risk profile uh, for developing disease and then helping them to monitor and track their health using blood testing. Fantastic. Yeah. So tackling a really huge problem for the health service, really. Yeah, that's right. You know, so we were looking at kind of a number of different disease processes, but predominantly the, the, the big ones that cause problems like, for example, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. You've now exited Scout Health and gone back to, to clinical practice. So can, can you talk us through a little bit of that journey? You know, how long did the whole process take from having that idea right through to exiting? And, and what were the key stages of that business? So, um, yeah, so the, the initial concept was developed in 2016 and then actually started the company in 2017 and um, and then really worked on it for about two and a, two and a half years or so, I would say, overall. Um, that's the kind of time frame that it took, um, you know, and through that sort of two and a half year windows, it must have gone through 10 or more iterations of exactly what it was. And I think that um, whenever you come up with an idea that you're trying to test, you, you, you never quite appreciate how the market's going to respond to that. And so for us, you know, it was a very long journey um, with numerous failures, numerous like having to restart, numerous worrying points uh, that led to uh, led to the end of it. Um, but it was a very it was a very it was a, we really had to go through multiple iterations of defining exactly what we were doing and how we were doing it. And really, the first time we started doing it was was actually physically in person for people. So it wasn't a digital health app at that stage. It was a concept around providing people with um, sort of preventative healthcare advice um, in so-called pods. And we were we were initially called Pod Health, and we were going around literally in physical pods and providing health advice to pay people. And and um, I think that was the exciting element of it. And then we kind of introduced kind of. Um, uh, blood work for patients so they could have their blood tests done and have reports delivered back to them and then ongoing advice and support and then that kind of um, we realized that wasn't scalable to do what we were doing but wanted to do it in a scalable way and then we decided that we were going to do it through an application process and um, we raised funding and we were able to kind of uh, get it through that stage 
and get a product out there that was used and was i think helpful to many people and so yeah it was something that we were very proud of in the end i think you've done a great job there zishan of, of kind of illustrating the different stages that a startup goes through yeah. and the importance of having a sort of minimum viable product you know some getting something out there working out how the market responds to it and then adapting to suit yeah i mean that's actually probably one of the biggest lessons that i learned um was how important those early phases are to test your idea and um you know um i was just speaking to um, an entrepreneur last week about it and we we're talking about his concept which is just you know it's just on at the moment it's just on a piece of paper and he was thinking about how do i take this forward and what do i do with this and how can i test it and was thinking about spending thousands of pounds on websites and things and i was kind of like well, actually there's oftentimes free easy cheap ways to to bootstrap and test your idea and we went through some of those and i think now knowing what i know i think the key thing whenever you're kind of starting to go out is to try and bootstrap as far as possible and test your hypotheses as soon as possible because your assumptions will almost certainly be wrong in some respect and it's about finding that product market fit and you really need to work on that and that really needs to be part of your plan to be kind of but this is what i learned anyway to be more kind of flexible about how you take things forwards and, and putting securities and contingencies in place so that you can deal with that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think, as you say, sort of that iteration with your customer and with, with the market you're trying to serve and sort of understanding how you alter the product to fit that. But also, you know, how, how as a founder, you do have a vision for what you're trying to achieve and kind of what problem you're trying to solve. And um, the market can't tell you everything, I guess. No, and that's the difficult part because you have a, a place you want to get to, you know, and it might be something very futuristic you want to achieve. And how much do you kind of have the grit to kind of go in that direction versus responding to what actually the market wants? And there's a balance to be struck there, I think. Um, and perhaps on occasions I was a bit too bloody minded about where I wanted to go and I didn't respond to the market early enough or well enough, I think. Uh, or we didn't, I should say. And um, but, you know, that's a that's a learning process as well. And I think every every company will be going through that. And there'll be very some very famous examples of where people started and where they ended up, you know. Yeah, that's, it's it's a great tension that, that exists for most entrepreneurial companies, I think. You know, how much are you market-led and customer-led and how much do you listen to your customers versus how much do they not really know what they want and what could be achieved for them um, you know, with, with your vision? I think I, I think there's – but I think there is a balance to be struck because I think that, you know, you, you if you can understand that somebody is willing to either spend time, input data, or even – give you money for a service or a product that you're providing and 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 that, and that may not be an individual it obviously may be an organization or, or for many companies relevant to the hill it might be the nhs actually you need to understand what it is their pain point is because as soon as you as soon as you start to address that then you're really making something that's super valuable and then you can you can evolve it into what you see as you being your vision in the future but oftentimes for that first year two years five years it's about a company staying alive of course and and getting and, and sometimes it's accepting that you have to respond to the market and provide what they need right now that's my opinion well absolutely it's your opinion that we're after zishan so that's that's fantastic and i think there are lots of ways of going about this but clearly you know the approach that you've taken has been successful and you've managed to 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 get um you know get to an exit which is fantastic what was the hardest part of that whole journey for you do you think um i think it was dealing with the 
I think it was dealing with failure, actually. And uh, I think as physicians, and particularly physicians who are, you know, I've been through the system, uh, like many people, I'm sure, who've been through the hill, and um, we're not taught to fail, actually, as clinicians. And so um, on the journey, you know, you're going to have experiments that are running, essentially, that you are looking at and thinking, okay, this is going to be successful. And you'll have stakeholders, you know, your investors, your team members, your co-founders, all of whom are, are, you know, you're trying to keep going in one direction. And I think perhaps the hardest part that we're not prepared for as clinicians is how you respond to failure um, when something doesn't work, when, you know, uh, the finances don't work out, when you have to let go of people or when, you know, the, the you know people aren't working out, actually, you know, your team members aren't right for way of taking things. And so um, I don't, that's, that for me was the hardest part of the journey. And for me, it was the dealing with how, um, dealing with that sense of not self-disappointment about how things are not working out the way you envisaged. And that happened more frequently than, you know, things working out the way you thought they would. They never, ever do that. They always go slightly differently. Um, and so I, I, I personally feel as though that was the hardest part, getting over that. But I also would say, and this is with retrospect, of course, that it was also the point at which I learned the most is those points where you failed, where you, things didn't work out. And um, and uh, certainly that's made me a better clinician, actually. It's made me be- better, I think, as a person. But if you told me that at the time, I would have told you to to get lost because it felt terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably something that, that that is difficult for innovation in the nhs as a whole really because you know ultimately as an, a caring organization that has to treat patients and doesn't want to fail ever um you know you doesn't want to to ever have an issue with a patient or kind of you know do the wrong thing for them or have that have that not be the the best experience then it can be quite difficult i think to accept that in the world of of innovation you do have to fail sometimes you do have to try stuff you do have to perhaps push the boats out a bit and it doesn't matter if you fail you just learn from that and that's a difficult lesson to learn i think it's a difficult lesson to learn especially when you know um your time's at stake actually and your and people's investments are also in stake here you know you do you do feel that pressure and it's right to feel that pressure actually because i think that's what's required sometimes to just push things forward but it's not an easy process to go through so why did you decide to start a business um well several reasons really i was motivated by a patient in this particular circumstance but actually you know the the well not to start a business but to start the concept i would say and then actually i thought okay well how do i get this to become sustainable you know because um and how do i get it to grow and how do i get it to become valuable in its own in its own rights um and that's really how it kind of led to a startup route um and i come from a family of entrepreneurs as well so it's really i felt like it was it's always been in my blood a bit to do some entrepreneurial work so um yeah, I was surrounded by family members and others saying, yeah, go for it. You know, there's and I'd seen I'd seen my uncles and my dad uh, always take those types of risks in their life with starting up new ventures, starting up new ideas. And I kind of um, sort of romanticized it a bit, actually, to be honest with you. So I, I felt like it was, uh, it was something I always wanted to do and I'm very grateful to have done, had the opportunity to do. You mentioned, obviously, that you're back in clinical practice and that potentially the experience has made you a better clinician. What has the experience brought for you personally and how has it changed you? I, well, I think, you know, um, 
I think it's made me more acutely aware about some of the issues that are in the NHS. You know, now I look at finances differently. Having run a company, having understood balance sheets, having understood sort of the financial aspects of running a business, now I understand also how it is important for the NHS, what's important. I think as a clinician, you're generally protected from that because you're constantly concerned about patient care, which is right. But now I kind of understand the bigger picture and I feel like I can have a more informed discussion with colleagues about that. And that I think makes me makes me a better rounded physician doctor as well. I think also just the sheer the just the team management skills, the management to lead, the management to kind of understand um some uh, some social aspects as well about people and what the what they are. I think you get a you get a very different insight when you're in a small startup that is vulnerable, very highly vulnerable from financial pressures about about people's home circumstances, about how that influences them so forth and so on i think i've taken that experience being able to bring it back to the nhs and of course the other thing of course is it's from every one of the failures that we had i learned something from that i learned how to cope as well and so you know if things don't work out you know what for an exam or you know um you know things don't work out with a patient for whatever reason i think that i'm now better equipped to kind of deal with the failures that may happen in my career yeah so you've developed a bit of resilience that's uh, perhaps useful uh, in lots of different areas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I remember meeting you fairly early on in your journey and being really impressed by your team and the group of people that you've brought together to, to develop Scout Health. How did you go about assembling that team? Uh, they were all people I knew. And, you know, I, I, I kind of been making a mental list of like people who I thought would just be fantastic in a startup environment and what particular roles and what particular elements they could and could not bring in. And, um, you know, uh, they were all fantastic, you know, and I just wanted to make sure that I wanted to give the company the best chance of success. And that was always going to be with a good team of people. Um, and sometimes you look back and you think, OK, well, where could have things where could have things been strengthened up? Where could have, you know, what, what were the de- deficits and what we did? Um, and, you know, I find it difficult to think of anything that could have been different in terms of the quality of people we had around us because they were so good. Um, and I think that gave us a head start. And I think it made our, made us do more with less, actually, um, with less finances. I think we were able to do more. And so um, for me, that was that was the that was the big benefit of having such a highly qualified team around me. Some people would would say it's quite difficult to set up a company with your your friends and family, though. I mean, that's that's quite a, a challenge, isn't it? Well, those relationships already. Yeah, that's true. Although um, I didn't find it a challenge, in all honesty. I think that we all worked really well together. You know, there is, um, but but there were other people who weren't friends and family, of course, and there were fam- uh, no one was family, in fact. But you know, there were people who were there who were not part of the founding group, who weren't kind of friends, um, and. Um, I, yeah, there were points where we had disagreements and there were points where, like, the, you know, of course, some of those were quite heated disagreements. But I think you always put things in the context of this being a business, in the context of this being a startup, in the context of... And that, and that is something that is challenging to do. And I think you, I learned to do that over time and I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think to some extent, those the relationships you build up with your team help you to then have those difficult conversations, don't they? Because you, you know each other well enough to be able to trust each other and be able to have the, um, the constructive conflict about that particular issue rather than making it personal. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's absolutely right. And um, also the difficult decisions, you know, so I remember uh, having a conversation with someone we had to let go and actually 
that person was fantastic at their job and I think she could tell from the way I was talking to her that it really pained me to let her go and I think that it, she made it easier for me <laughs> it almost was the other way around she's counseling me in the end um, about it and uh, and it's you know it's 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 a testament to people actually how resilient they are and and how much they can take on and how they respond to adversity and I think uh, for me that made working with these group of people amazing you obviously did a, g- a good job of it too Zishan I often advise founders to think about what their long-term goal is when they get into these ventures, you know, how long they plan to stay in the business, when and how they want to exit. Yeah, Did, did you make a plan like that at the beginning uh, and did it work out as you expected? No, it didn't work out as I expected. And, you know, um, the ro- the goal was never to um, exit, really. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even know what the concept of exiting really meant, you know. Um, and, um, and an exit really is you know a number of different things it's basically trying to define where does the company go from here and that could even be dissolving the company at the end it could even be selling it on it could be selling the ip or it could be doing any number of different things and i remember being approached very early on by an investor who asked me what is the exit strategy for the company and i at the time i i didn't really know and i didn't give them a proper answer and now I think it's probably one of the most critical things you can think about is throughout your journey, even from day one, when you sit down with that piece of paper and you write down your idea, it's like, okay, what, what, where is this going to go? And how, how is it going to be different throughout the lifetime of this business? And so your exit strategy may last, maybe you may have an exit strategy at three months, you may have one at six months, you may have one at 12 months, you may want to have one at 10 years. And so I think it's really important to just be considered about that and look at what your options are at every single stage and look at the competitive landscape and say, okay, well, am I going to become attractive enough for a competitor to to move into? Or do I need to make my company as attractive as several potential um, uh, uh, sort of buyers at the end? Because that's a a key element of, uh, of, of things going forward. So I definitely... If I was to do this again, I think I'd be much more meticulous about considering what the options are for the business at every single stage. And for me personally as well, because at some point, you know, that it does get hard being a being a founder and leading a startup. And you may decide that actually the opportunity cost is too great as well. And so you need to make those provisions whenever you're planning. Yeah, I think it's particularly true of a lot of our clinical colleagues who, um, you know, perhaps really love their clinical work and don't really want to give that up and Mm -hmm. then find themselves actually taking on something that is really a full time job um, running a startup and have the dilemma of what do I do next? Yeah, I I agree. And I think that um, as medics as well, I think that we are very lucky to work in such a professional structured environment. And I certainly miss that in the startup world because everything is chaos and everything is unordered and everything is last minute and everything is just problem solving. And I miss to some extent the structure, at least of my day. And I understand there's a lot of problem solving in medicine, but the structure of my day was relatively well sought after, you know, and the demand is always high for for medics, especially I think right now. And so there's, um, I miss that certainty. And that's really what um, I felt as though, Part, partly what drew me back to medicine, but I just also just missed the day-to-day work of what I do here. What sort of support did you have um, whilst you were developing the startup and how was that useful? Um, we had lots of support, really. Um, in some ways, sometimes I felt like we had too much support. We had so much support, you know, from, you know, obviously we had great support from the Hill. We had great support from the Foundry, which is, uh, you know, as well. 
and um, we had mentors and uh, investors and people who were just generally nice to us. You know, I think we were as a startup group, I think we were pretty likable. And I think that most of us had industry experience as well. And we brought in friends and contacts from the industry world as well, who were who were very kind to us and and help us achieve more with less. Um, so, yeah, we were we were extremely well supported. And, um, you know, I would definitely say to people who are going into start the startup world is that that mentorship is incredibly important because it'll help you it'll provide you with it will provide you with not only advice but it would also provide you with that ability to continue in the face of failure because someone's going to just say you know say to you that don't worry i've been through this circumstance before and i got through it and that's probably one of the most critical things I think it's it's one of the things that we've certainly heard from our Market Access Accelerator alumni is one of the more valuable things about any sort of accelerator program is that sort of mentorship and that kind of finding people who've done done it before or have a few steps ahead of you who are the people who can really um, sort of empathise with where you're sat and yeah. how you get through that. Um, so that's why we're so delighted to have you coming back as a mentor, Zishan. That's fantastic. I'm delighted to uh, be part of this process. You know, I obviously benefited massively from it and uh, got to meet some great people through the process as well. Um, so, yeah, it's fantastic. So coming back to the sort of the career pathway that involves starting a, a company and then going back into the NHS. I mean, how did starting a company fit with your DPhil, your clinical training and, um, you know, all the other things that, that you've done as part of your career? And what 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 did that look like for you? Well, I'd, I was already partway through my higher surgical training um, at the time, and I'd already completed a DPhil, and I really I'd started the company already. So I'd already decided the company, and we'd been going for about twelve months or so, and you know it was really becoming a lot of work, and um, and I, I kind of had to make the decision: do I do I do I leave my career? Do I what do I do with my surgery career, which I love so much, and. Um, and what do I do with this idea that I can't seem to get out of my head as well? And, you know, was very enthusiastic about and very committed to. Um, and I was lucky in that my program directors were very supportive of the idea, the concept. And I think to some extent proud of where I'd taken it to at that point. And, um, you know, encouraged me to take time out from surgery to to kind of um, to kind of continue with it. And so I was awarded a sort of out of program experience to to run the company full time for one year as a, 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 to see how things went, basically. Um, and that gave me that one year window and also a nice time frame, I think, to kind of really suck and see whether this was a, a lifestyle that I wanted to be part of or whether the company was going to be successful. And I think that was helpful. Um, and then I was able to rejoin my rejoin the clinical pathway, actually in a year's time which is exactly what i did what i did and at that stage we were kind of we had kind of drawn a line into where we were going to go and how we were going to exit and how things were going to move forward so um actually that the timing worked out really well for me uh, serendipitously from my career perspective but i know that generally speaking that there is much more support now for entrepreneurs within the nhs you know the nhs obviously is nhs entrepreneurs are being supported to come up with new ideas and so i think that generally speaking especially if you've got an idea that's shown some initial traction whilst you're, whilst you're already working. I think the most programme directors would be looking at you favourably, thinking, OK, well, this is a really interesting thing. How do we support 
this person continuing to some extent with their medical training whilst 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 uh, exploring this endeavor so what are your final pieces of advice then Zishan for those clinical staff members that are out there thinking of pursuing an idea what what would you say to them I would I would encourage them to do it I think it's a fantastic opportunity especially you've got an idea and um you know there's no better place to come up with ideas than within the nhs i think there's so many issues that need tackling and there's so many problems that need solving so i i really believe that clinicians are very very well placed to try and deal with those issues and to build um uh, to build startups to try and do that it is a monstrous process especially if you really want to go the full length so it's not to underestimate that process but also to understand that there are smaller goals and targets that you can achieve um, that don't necessarily require you to um, to give up your clinical practice. And that's either by getting other people involved that are more experienced in business or, or, or alternatively actually selling your idea at an early stage. I can give the example of a colleague of mine who has who developed some novel concept that he then patented and then developed a, a prototype for and then he sold the prototype and the patents to a company. So he actually never left clinical practice, but was able to get an exit very early on. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's there's multiple ways to look at this thing. And it's exciting and it's interesting and it's different. And I think even if your concept is not going to work out long term, I think you as a person will be enriched for it and will carry it forward forever. So I would definitely recommend it. I think that's a, a great place to end, Zishan, because I, I think you're right. You've brought up a couple of really good points there around, you know, that the, there is no one size fits all model for entrepreneurship. You can think about a short term exit. You can think about a, a longer term investment into a company. You can think about simply licensing the IP somewhere. You know, there's lots of different options. So um, wanting to continue clinical practice or wanting to do other things is not a barrier to developing these ideas and making sure that someone benefits from them. And also then that that idea that I think it really does develop you as a person to experience the world of entrepreneurship, the kind of fast moving um, chaos, I think, as you described it, and and the kind of, um, you know, the need to firefight all the time, but also the the need to drive something forward and find the right product market fit and, and challenge yourself to really come up with something that solves someone's problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Zishan, thank you ever so much for joining us on on the podcast. Um, It's been really great to have you. Thank you. No, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Hills podcast and in particular our series on clinical entrepreneurs. And today we had Zishan Akhtar, specialist registrar at Oxford University Hospitals, former um, founder of startup Scout Health and also a mentor on the Hills Market Access Accelerator programme.